Hey guys, welcome, what a great turnout. Uh, should we tell them why we're really here? Just kidding, just kidding. I, I'm excited to be here, I hope you are as well. Um, I'm going to start with just a word of prayer and we're going to get right into it, but just a little uh, overview of what we're going to do. Um, I've asked Daniel to come and to start out by just doing a presentation from scripture, uh, first and foremost, of creation, um, the things that scripture says about creation. And from there, then we're going to um, shift into a conversation where I'll come up here with Daniel. We'll do a Q&A, and we're going to talk through a lot of those questions related to creation, uh, the age of the earth, dinosaurs, flood, and all that kind of stuff. So um, what you can do is be prepared as questions come up in your mind, or maybe you've got some already as to jot those down. Uh, feel free to write you know, notes and that sort of thing. When we get to the Q&A, then we're actually going to do the live mic so we can record um, the questions for the answers. So that on the website, if you ask a question, I'm going to ask you just talking to the mic, your voice will be on the recording, just so you know that. So we don't want Daniel just talking out of thin air to answer questions that people can't hear. So that's how we're going to do that. So Cam to the rescue. Thanks, buddy. And uh, is that tall enough for you? You want to stick it up there? Yeah, so that everybody can see it, like up here maybe. I think so. Yeah, we're probably not even going to use it. Perfect. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. And the reason why we're praying is to, um, to, first of all, say is, God, as curious as we are about things, we're most interested in knowing you. And through our conversation tonight, help us to get to know you better. And so in order to do that, God, give us um, eyes to see, not just the drawings, but eyes to see truth, um, ears to hear truth. And uh, yeah, we're going to ask God to give us a heart to embrace truth and submit to it. And so let's, uh, let's pray together and we'll get started. Are you guys ready? You ready, Daniel? All right, let's do it. Uh, Father, we are so thankful to be um, in your presence right now, God, to, together as your church, God, a small piece of your kingdom here on earth. And God, we do want to be open. We want our eyes to be able to see truth. We want our ears to hear truth. Uh, but more importantly, God, give us a heart that's ready to embrace and submit to truth, God. Even if it challenges our way, way of thinking, God, if it challenges our worldview, um, God, lead us into truth um, that is bigger than what makes sense, and give us the faith to believe it. So meet us now. We pray for Daniel. God, give him the words, insight, and clarity of mind to communicate your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. How about that? Is that working? Am I getting anything? You got it? Okay. Super. Well... We're going to dive in. This material should be about a 10-week series, um, but it's not. Yeah, we're going to cover it in about half an hour and then answer questions for another half hour or so and try to get out of here. Um, first of all, God has called me um, to Fort Worth to go to Southwestern Seminary. I've been there for three years. Uh, that does not mean that I have been blessed with some special knowledge. You can look at my transcript, and it'll tell you that I've not been blessed with special wisdom, special knowledge, but what I have been blessed with is curiosity, and I was blessed to have wonderful parents that took me to church and uh, taught me the words of the Bible, and I had a dad who's a biologist and uh, instilled in me curiosity about the world around me, and uh, it's just, I've always had a fascination for science and understanding how the world works. Uh, it's what led me into uh, engineering. I have an undergraduate degree in engineering, so I've had you know a year and a half worth of physics and calculus and 
uh, more math than most people really want to talk about. Um, but it's, it's all, uh, and for some people, it's a lot of noise. You know, they hear so many different things. They feel that what we hear inside the church uh, is completely different than what we hear from the uh, the media and the news about what's being discovered, uh, what and then what we read in our, our textbooks in college and things that we might have had to deal with uh, when we went to college and in uh, some of these classes uh, about biology and evolution and and so how does all that fit in with scripture? Because scripture we believe is a, of course God breathed and that it is a, it is effective for us to for teaching and for righteousness for training in righteousness. And so it's something that we should understand, and we believe that uh, as the inerrant word of God, we can read scripture and learn uh, what it has to say about the world around us. And so we're going to do what we can to dive into scripture, first of all, and then we're going to discuss what the church uh, has believed uh, traditionally through the years uh, about creation and uh, the, why the world is how it is. So first question we need to ask, I hope you're ready to write down some uh, scripture just uh, that you might want to look up later. All of it will be on the screen so you can read along. Uh, but, but please uh, jot any questions down you have, any notes you have, especially some of these main questions and uh, kind of uh, the big ideas that we need to, to grasp in order for uh, this to be beneficial. Uh, so the first question, why do we need to study the creation story? Uh, one of the first things that I would say is that because everyone is asking these three questions, where did everything come from? How did life begin? Is there meaning to our existence? I think everyone in their heart really, you know, at some point is going to ask these questions. Of course, we get too, so busy and distracted that maybe this isn't at the forefront of our mind. You know, we don't wake up every morning. I wonder why, wonder why I exist this day, today and everything. But we, we do know that it is important for us uh, to, to be ready to give an account. First uh, Peter 3.15 is the first scripture, uh, I don't know if they have it up there, um, says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That last part is going to be really important, gentleness and respect. And this is coming from Peter, you know, pre Peter, we know how brazen he was, and he didn't mind offending people and the things that he said and kind of talked before he... Um, thought about what he was saying, and uh, so he's telling us in gentleness and respect, we should be ready to give an account uh, for what we believe. And uh, if we believe the Bible is true, then we should be able to be ready to defend uh, what we believe. Uh, second question, what does the Bible say about creation? And is the Bible sufficient to answer the questions that we might pose to it? And Proverbs 30, 5 through 6 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refu refuge in him. Uh, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So every word of God proves true. Uh, we see this time and time again that it's effective for use in our life as a measurement tool for how we're supposed to live. Uh, and we believe that, that uh, every word of it, it should, should be studied carefully and can be applied to our lives directly. So I hope you're ready to start. If you would, you know, if you've got your Bible, open it up to Genesis 1, because we're going to go through the creation account real quick. We did this today in uh, the kids' building, because we're kind of matched up right now in what we're doing. And then we asked the kids afterwards, I was asking them, you know, kind of just hopefully, uh, hoping they remembered, 
okay, what happened on day one? What happened on day two? Man, they had it every time. And I was wondering, you know, how many people over here in this building, if you walked up to them and said, what did God make on day two? Or what did God make on day five? You know, and you'd be like, oh, well, I mean, it's just at the beginning. I'll just, I'll look it up, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, yeah, that's pretty easy to remember where it is. But, you know, we, we still need to understand that there is a, there's something bigger going on here. And, uh uh, it's, it's so hard for me to pull in all the things that I want to talk about. Uh, we're going to try to just fly through this, kind of get a, imagine like, kind of talked about this in kids. You know, we're getting the big picture. I want to, you know, we're in an airplane, we're 10,000 feet up, and we're just trying to get a big picture of what's going on. And we're going to zero in on some, some things, but we're just going to try to get as much done as possible. So, here we go. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created I'm five words into our English Bible, and I've lost the majority of the world. They're saying, wait a minute. You're saying that there was a beginning, and God was the one responsible for everything that we see today. I don't know. How can we believe that's true? Well, that's the whole point of tonight. We're going to be defending this, that in the beginning, God created. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So we're going to go here. We're going to go day one. We got day one, and it's kind of general. God creates the heavens and the earth. So that's two things. That's the earth and everything else. But there's nothing real specific about that. You say he creates light, and then he separates the light. This is really hard for people to, uh, if, if this is accurate, and we're supposed to take it for its word, and then this is saying at the end that there was evening and there was morning the first day. You're saying, wait, 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 Daniel. How can you have a day? How can you have evening and morning? God hasn't even made the sun yet, supposedly. That's the sun and stars are made on day four. So what are we doing? We've got light, and then we've got evening and morning. How do we reconcile this? How do we want to think about this? And I love this. I see this in my head, and I hope you can see it too. I don't know if you've ever been to a stage production, if you've been to a play, something like that. And you hear everyone move in, and starting, it's, everything's getting started, and the lights dim. And the lights start to come on. And sometimes people will be moving around the stage, and you can see it, but, you know, it's, it's shadows. But you can tell that there's something there because there's a small amount of light. And the point is that light came in because God created something for light to be present upon. We see over and over again in scripture that God is light. Now, he, he's an ultimate source of light. And we uh, had a, a picture, I didn't get to it, of the spectrum of light. Do you know that what we see as visible light is just a tiny, tiny bit of the wavelength of what we call the electromagnetic spectrum, which is what we would term light. It behaves like light, you know, it's, it moves in waves, uh, it has, it reacts to gravity, so it has some type of mass, and that's weird in itself that, you know, this wave, something that really we can't see, these photons are, you know, bent by gravity and things like that. 
but the light that we see and the colors that we see and the visible spectrum are just a small portion of what we call light. And so maybe what <laughs> is coming across here is light. Maybe this isn't even something that we understand. You know, it's something that we really can, can grasp as uh, being light that we think of, you know, seeing colors and feeling warmth and things like that. Uh, all we know is that there was nothing except God. God is timeless in his being. He existed apart from anything else. And nobody needs, <laughs> nobody, he didn't need anything to exist in himself. But he created something. And when he created that, there was something for him to be present upon, for him to, to be a part of. And so this is the, the, the light that, that um, I, this is how you know, I justify this. And you know, if you think about that stage, then it really starts to, to, to you get a better picture, and especially in the end when things start to wrap up. Okay, but, and we'll, we, it's amazing how the Bible summarizes this in the end. So this is day one, the heavens and the earth, something is created and God's presence is upon it. And somehow it is, um, if, you, if you think of the earth moving and, and God, then you have uh, evening and morning. <clears throat> We're not even going to get to whether, uh, whether this is a 24-hour day or not. We'll get to that in a little bit. So he says, let there be light, and he separates the light from the darkness. Uh, there was evening and morning the first day. And then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. This is getting confusing. We're six, we're six verses into the Bible here, and we don't even know what he's talking about. Uh, I mean, this is, this, is, this is crazy here. So God has created something. His presence is upon it. And it, it's really interesting the way we have heavens and earth. It says that God, God created the heavens and the earth. But then it says his spirit was upon the face of the deep. And then God speaks. So there's this, his vocalization, his words have a power. And most theologians see the Trinity in this, and I hope you can too. You see Father God, all, all you know, uh, the, the, the main part of the Trinity that we see uh, in acting in all of this. And he said, you, we see the word spirit, and then we see the presence of his word, his actions, his actions upon creation, the way that he acts physically upon creation. I mean, if that's not a manifestation of Jesus as we know it, you know, unzipping the fabric of time, stepping in, you know, God acting in our lives, then, then I don't know what is. And so here in the, the very first day, we already see uh, the, the actions of a triune God on creation. Uh, and then in day two, we see him taking, we see, okay, remember it said, heavens and the earth, spirit was over the waters, so there's water. You can imagine a big globe of water. I think that's an accurate way to, to picture it. And then we have day two. And then the, he's separating waters from water with a expanse or firmament or canopy. All of these words are equally applicable to what happens here. So if you can imagine a globe, and then we've got water over the face of the globe separated by an expanse think like our atmosphere here but then it says it separated the waters from the water wait Daniel you're telling me he separated the the waters on earth from waters up in space up in sky uh, with the expanse I'm saying yes and I'll get to it, it I'll, I'll get to it it'll, it'll make more sense uh, when, I, when I get to it in a little bit 
verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that are above the expanse. So this kind of uh, goes against what people would say, well, separating the waters, he's just making the seas, right? He's just stretching them out. Doesn't say anything about seas until the next day. So there's something else going on here. And then it says there was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Day three. Well, we've got our globe with our water, but there's dry land appearing now. I am an artist. I, I hope you realize this. This helps me, so I don't care if it's helping you. It's helping me to <laughs> tell this story here. <clears throat> it works great. So the dry land appears and the seas are separated, and this is day three. And then we get that, uh, this, this great thing that God says, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So we even got some plants. We're going to make some purple plants here. Trees and everything, grass and trees and everything. So vegetation. So I would say that the earth is ready. It's ready for something. It's ready to be filled. And so many of the kids today, when I ask them, okay, he just made the land. What happened on day four? They say, oh, he made the animals or the fish. No, he didn't. He made the stars in the sky and the lights rule the day and night. Look, and it says it's day four. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and morning the fourth day. So God this we have our world again the heavens and the earth and in the heavens he puts stars and he puts the sun and the moon so we know that our sun is a star so that makes sense that the sun would be created with all the other stars but it says that they give light and they separate the light from the darkness just like whatever it was in the beginning was doing the same thing so they're serving the same purpose and then there's uh, all kinds of uh, issues with, with starlight as well. That we, we can get to that later. Um, <coughs> you know, in the second hour of our, our program. But I want you to, to see something here. That the stars in the sky, the moon, the sun, you know, these fill, these fill what was made on the first day. In the heavens. When he separated the heavens and the earth. So what, what did he make on the fifth day? I'm going to summarize here because I think we can figure this out. <clears throat> On the fifth day, he made the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. So, day five is filling the things that were made on day two. Cool. So, my guess would be that day six 
might have uh, some things that need to eat this vegetation, some animals. And a man, because man was made on day six. The only differences we see is that when he makes these creatures, he says he blesses them. And we know how separate uh, the making of man was in that he, he gathered uh, dust of the earth together and he breathed life into us. I'm trying to get there. We're still on day six. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. And you shall have them for food to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. And we know that God rested on the seventh day. Okay, so that's Genesis. Let's start flying through some books here, and then we'll get to the tough stuff. That, you know, we just, we, we just made, we have no idea the mess we just caused in reading the first chapter of the Bible. Because there's all kinds of things that need to be addressed in that. What does the rest of the Bible say about creation? Let's look at the second book of the Bible, Exodus. This is very uh, strong wording here that supports the, a, literal, um, a literal view of 24-hour days. Exodus 20:11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Job. Job says a ton of wonderful things about the creation. We know that Job... The story of Job, how he um, fell into all this trouble and he, all his friends and his wife were saying, just curse God and die. Finally, at the end, he's just saying, God, just tell me why this happened. And God answers him in the last chapters of Job and gives him a, a huge discourse on how small he is. This is just a part of it. Job 38, 4 through 7. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Nehemiah, 11, uh, Nehemiah 9, 6. This is Ezra reading and uh, praying uh, over the people of Israel as they gathered together after reading uh, the, the word of God. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, and the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. In the Psalms, we see over and over again that the David and the writers of Psalms, that they understand the glory of God, and they articulate it in such a way that is uh, above what we would see. We also see that he has understanding. And if we believe what we do about David, that he was a man after God's own heart, you know, he had an intimate relationship with God, and he intimately understood uh, who God was, and, uh, and more so even than, than we might have a, a peek into the character of God. Psalms 8, 3 through 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you care for him. Psalms 19, 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. 136, 4 through 9. To him alone does, does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, his steadfast love endures forever. We see praise uh, in, in looking at creation and just thinking about creation and how wonderful it is. Psalm 147, 4. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them names. You know how many stars there are? There are trillions of stars. This is a number that you can't even comprehend. Just within our, our Milky Way galaxy alone, it's something like three billion stars at least. I think that's probably wrong. I think there's, there's an extra zero in there somewhere. Uh, and he calls them forth by name. Uh, that's just uh, amazing to me. That uh, why wouldn't the Creator, though, understand His creation intimately? Let's look at the prophets. Isaiah says some amazing things uh, about God. As he, it's so funny, in the midst of his condemnation of what the people are doing, he offers up some amazing praise for how uh, mighty God is and how exalted He should be. Isaiah forty, twenty-one through twenty-two. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. 4026, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I am formed and made. 45, 18, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. We see purpose in creation, that there was that he created this to be inhabited. It wasn't just something that he just let happen. You know, he's not, he's not this eternal clockmaker that made this, winded it up, and set it on the pedestal just to let it run. There was a purpose in, in what he was doing. Okay, uh, Jeremiah ten twelve. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding, stretched out the heavens. This word, stretched out the heavens, this is used over 20 times uh, in the Bible. And I think it helps us really understand the, the vastness of, of uh, the universe and the expansion uh, of galaxies and the rapid expansion of the universe uh, that, that we understand this idea of God stretching out uh, everything. All right, let's get into the New Testament. John 1, 1 through 5, we have this amazing parallel with Jesus and the very beginning of Scripture. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Tell me you don't see Genesis 1, verses 1 through 6 in that. These are the words of Jesus. He, uh, Matthew 19, 4, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Is it Jesus confessing with his mouth that God created men and women from the beginning? Mark 10, 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And then John 5, 46 through 47. For if you believed Moses, and who wrote Genesis? Moses is who we say wrote Genesis. You would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Right of Hebrews, this is a... He was addressing a belief at the time, but it also is applicable to the belief of some today. In Hebrews 11.3, says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible or actual things. This was the idea at the time that the universe is eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. It just exists. But now... What happens today is we, we have to address the Big Bang. And okay, everything was all in one place at one time, but where did that come from? Where did the, that stuff that happened in the beginning, how did that, what did that come from? What, did it come from nothing or was there something before that? And uh, so many um, scientists argue uh, that even, even when they say it was nothing, they still mean there was something at the beginning. And so that's directly addressed by Hebrews. Okay, Paul. This is a powerful one, Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's talking about Jesus. Romans 1.19-22. For what can we know about God? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And this is the idea of um, in, uh, in in systematic theology and our circles, this is called general revelation, that we can look out at the world and we can see, in our hearts, we see that this is, I see, I see design, I see uh, a signature over everything. There seems to be uh, something that connects every, everything. So we see God in, in all this creation. But then we know what happened after uh, creation, and we know that, uh, that death entered the world through sin. And Romans 5.12 says, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Uh, I think I'm going to skip Second Peter. That's a lot to, if you would, write down Second Peter chapter 3. This is a summary of, um, I, it's, it's very applicable to our present time in the way he talks about, um, you know, when is God coming back? When is he going to do the things that he said? And he talks about the flood. 
uh, see, it says uh, in verse 5, they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world um, then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same word, uh, heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. And this is what we see in Revelation. Okay, everyone died in the flood. Global flood, everyone perished. God said, I'm never going to destroy the earth again with a flood. And then later on in Revelations, we see uh, the earth being destroyed by, by fire and being made new. You know, this idea of a, of a um, uh, fire, that, a cleansing fire that's going to prove us uh, true. Okay, this is the last scripture that we're going to read. And you have no idea how reassuring this was to me. In the last week, I've been poring over you know, books and things that I've, I've read before, trying to kind of get a handle on what I could actually talk to you about tonight. And I love pulling all, up all the scripture, but it just, it became burdensome. It was too much for me to bear. And I was like, I don't know how this goes together, God. You know, I am, I am this is such a, a huge task for me. And then I came to Revelation and, and I found what I needed. And I found something uh, just uh, amazingly uh, beautiful. And it, it really just, um, it, it hit me the other night. And uh, it, it really changed um, how I see a lot of things, the, the conclusion that we have here uh, for our scripture. Uh, let's start in Revelations 4.11. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And this is uh, coming from the, the elders uh, before the throne of God. And it says about the elders that they, they worship day and night. So in their current situation, it's still, there's still day, there's still night, there's still evening, there's still morning. What we have, let's, let's continue in Revelations 21, verses 1 through 7. Some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. It says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no, no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give them the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Uh, continuing a couple verses later, Revelations 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, and brought uh, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. They will see his face, 
and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Everything that happened in Genesis 1 turned around, put on rewind, and sent back to the beginning. I don't need to know what Genesis verses 1, 1 through 3 looks like, because I see in the end what it's going to be like again. That there's no need for the, the physical lights that we have now, because the presence of God shines through as our only source of light and the only thing by which we need to see and live and worship. Uh, and also, just the, the amazing ways that he has redeemed us and he has brought us. Nothing is accursed. The tree of life is available to us once more. We will see his face, people. All through the Old Testament, there are countless times where uh, Moses says, uh, Lord, I just want to look on your face. And the Lord says, no man can look on me and live. Because we're not holy. We have the sin of Adam in our lives and we have the death that reigns over us. And it's only through the redemption that we have through Jesus that we're able to be a part of this, that we're able to stand before God clean, that we're able to, to look on his face and, uh, and see him clearly uh, as the eternal king on his throne uh, where he is, he is all we need and he is receiving all the glory. So there are tons of other things in the Bible that we can say about creation, but that's it. And that took like half an hour. We're going to run through these. What has the church believed? One of the key things that they believed in creation that they, was put forward throughout the years is this uh, it's Latin, ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. So this was one of the, the bedrock things that they would hold on to. We're not sure how it worked. We, they usually held to literal 24 days and a, a literal week. Uh, but they said, as long as it was created out of nothing, we're okay. So that was a big source of contention. Now, apart from that, things, things began to progress and people started to believe things. Um, and we need to say there's, there's two different aspects to theories on how creation actually took place and uh, on why, you know, what, what was the world like and why is it is now and the appearance of age that we see now. How do we reconcile these things? There are some theories that are consistent with Scripture. They're evangelical and we can support those. Uh, we're not going to, you know, break with our brother because, you know, Cam, you know, if he believes in the earth is old earth, but he still holds to a scriptural view that, uh, you know, God created everything and he did it on, on uh, uh, purpose and, and, and other things, then, then we can say, that's, that's fine, Cam, you know, and, uh, and even and with the, the young earth counterparts. But there are things that are, are very troubling and they're inconsistent with scripture that are considered to be Christian views. And these are one of the big things that you need to take away from tonight. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So this idea of theistic evolution came about with Darwin's Origin of Species in 1859. Now, the Christians were already ripe that, you know, all these inconsistencies that they felt were coming up in science, that they had no way to address that. And then when Darwin, Darwin uh, put forward the, his ideas of evolution, they were like, mm, okay, I guess that fits as long as we say that God was responsible for the evolution. 
So let's look at some, some well, things that it says is that at the creation of uh, matter in the beginning, God intervened. At the creation of the simplest life form, God intervened. The creation of man, God probably intervened. But other than that, whatever science figures out, that's, that's what is, is probably right. Other than that, they pro- progress according to natural processes. Now, I have objections to that, but then there's other people that have lots of objections to that as well. Uh, here comes objections. The Genesis account seems uh, incompatible with the randomness of evolution. Uh, would God look at the process of millions and millions of mutations over millions of years and call it very good? I don't know. Scripture indicates that the Word of God brings uh, an immediate response. So it's not that this gradual progression over millions of years. Instead, it, when it says that God said this and it happened, then that's usually how it should work, right? Psalms 33, uh, 6 and 9 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God said, and it was so. Uh, That's what we see in Genesis. Uh, Scripture specifically makes mention of God designing creatures that reproduce after their own kinds, not different kinds. This is one of the the big problems that we we have in uh, uh, with, with the evolution of species and one, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter how many millions of years you, you put in there, it's really difficult to justify uh, some, some creatures, especially when there's no fossil evidence for the links in between. Uh, things like a turtle. Look at a turtle, a turtle skeleton is completely different from anything else. There's, there's no, nothing that even is even close to the way that a turtle behaves. Uh, because of its uh, the way its back is formed, it doesn't have a, a vertebrate backbone like we do. It has this, you know, the shell, the hard carapace that forms over that. There's nothing that's even close to that. Or even the snake. The snake has uh, three times as many vertebrae as a normal animal, and there's really it's really hard to to justify how uh, things like the big big jumps that they make. Um, it, there's we we could talk about that uh, for a long time, but just just to say. That, that, that's a problem as well when compared to the Bible. Another idea that is, is not deemed biblical is uh, this idea of progressive creation. Progressive creationists claim uh, really long days in, uh, in the Genesis account, which we can we get to in a minute. Uh, they, they say, you know, billions of years for everything, uh, successive acts of creation. So God did the creating, and it, it happened when he said it happened, but there was billions of years in between, uh, they also will believe in a localized flood and um, you know pre-Adam um, human-like people, which is another uh, part of uh, theistic evolution. Uh, and uh, th- these are difficult as well because, for one thing, how can you say you believe in the the order of things and the way they're created if and put millions of years in between each of these things if you create the plants? And then you, for now we're saying millions of years, there's no um, insects to, to help pollinate. There's nothing um, helping them. Um, and and this, oh, that, this is a big one. The, okay, you created the plants, God, and then millions of years later you made the sun to uh, help the plants have photosynthesis and live. Um, that's, that's one of the big, big failures right there. Uh, gap theory. This is uh, one that's still widely held by a lot of people. Gap theory uh, was uh, 
came about in 1814. So this is before uh, Darwin's uh, origin of species. This is Christian's kind trying to figure out why uh, the earth seems so old and uh, apply it to um, the, the Bible. It says that there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Uh, what does Genesis 1-1 say? It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's this huge gap is what they're saying. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. They say that this, the reason that it was without form and void, or uh, the, the Hebrew is tohu vavohu, it's very fun to say. Um, and it just means that it was really that, it was a desert place and nothing was there. And they say that they try to match this up with what we uh, believe about Lucifer and the fallen angels. And they said, oh yeah, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And so that's when there was this huge rebellion in heaven, and God cast them down to heaven, and it destroyed everything. And so that first earth was destroyed. So in verse 2, we have the recreation, and God's making everything right after the fall of all these, these angels and everything. Uh, first earth was destroyed at the fall of Lucifer and his angels, which is why the earth is without form and void. Uh, the objections to that would, are really, really numerous, in my opinion. Um, but uh, Exodus uh, twenty eleven is one that we um, I think we already looked at that, didn't we? Mm, not using it as the six days, everything's running together in my head now. Exodus twenty eleven, yeah. For six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, sea, and all of them. So, how can you justify you know adding an extra day or even an extra age or uh, something like that? And the other one comes from uh, Psalms. No, Revelations, uh, Revelation 21.1. Yeah, this is the biggest one. It says, uh, God, in this, the new heavens and the new earth, because the first heavens and the first earth were passed away. Well, if gap theory is true, then it would be the second heaven and the second earth are passed away. So uh, it, that's a, a weak attempt to, to justify what's going on. So this is where the, the largest Christian argument comes into play. Young earth versus old earth. And wh where do we, how do we find the old earth in the Bible? How do we find the new earth in the Bible? Because the, the, the lay person, average person that reads the Bible, uh, if we're going to take the Bible at its word, then this appears to be a uh, uh, standard seven-day week, 24-hour period. But there is the old earth theory, and the, most of this is supported by what's called the day-age theory. The day-age theory. Uh, and this justifies the millions of years that we find in science. Support is what they, what they say. It comes from 2 Peter uh, 3.8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In Psalms 94, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. I'm just going to run through these problems real quick. These are not discussing creation, but rather God's timelessness and transcendence over time. Psalms and Second Peter, uh, if you know anything about English, you know what a simile is? Do we have any English teachers in here? And a simile is a comparison that uses like or as. Well, there's some big likes and as. Uh, in, in those two verses, it's making a co comparison uh, to God, not saying anything about creation. This is based on the Hebrew understanding of the word yom for day, because it says that evening and morning, the first day, evening and morning, the second day. 
Uh, and people try to say, well, day can mean age. And so it can mean like during this period, well, the first day is this long period and the second day is this long period. And God is still uh, present in all of that. And he's spending all these years working on it, you know, the intricateness of our bodies and everything. And uh, they, they have a, a great point. They're not, they're not saying that it's uh, evolution in any way. They're saying that on day one, God is taking the billions of years that, uh, we, uh, that uh, astronomers find, astrophysicists find in the universe, and uh, the billions of years that we would say went into that, that God's spending all of those years working on it. And then the, the millions of years that would appear to be in the fossil evidence of, of the earth, this is God working over millions of years and in, uh, in, in, uh, in fine-tuning his creation. And uh, they, don't, they don't see any problem with that. Uh, every, time, uh, every time they see the, that the day used, um, they just see it as age. Now, some of the problems with that are that uh, this is not really how yom is used in the, the Old Testament. It's used over 1,800 times, and every time, almost, it's used to mean a literal 24-hour day. And every time it's used with a, uh, well, it's used over 800 times in the Old Testament to mean a literal 24-hour day, and that's well over 90% of the times that it's used, it means a literal day. But every single time that it's used with a number, it means a 24-hour day. So remember it says it's evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. It's called a cardinal number. Every time it's used with a number in the Bible, it, it means a real day, not you know the first age or anything like that. There's no kind of language like that. Uh, in the Old Testament. So, uh, several times it's used uh, as a generalized day, like the Day of Judgment or the Day of the Lord, uh, but that, that would seem to be a, a completely different thing. So that's, that's what I would say. Cameron over here is, is my old earth uh, believer. He believes that, that God uh, was, was faithful uh, and that these are, uh, this, is liter- this is the literal order that God worked and he took the time uh, over millions of years, billions of years, and to uh, intricately form everything in creation uh, as he spoke and in his power and with intention uh, and perfection, uh, he, he created everything. But uh, it wasn't a week. It wasn't 24 hours. And then the, the literalists, the young earth people, would say that these are literal days and the age that we have is formed through uh, different things, mainly catastrophe from the flood. Uh, Support for this comes from a literal interpretation of Genesis 1, understanding of a global flood, and matching up the genealogies of Scripture. And uh, setting this as our baseline for uh, trying to figure out an age of the earth. There's a strong support uh, for fossil evidence, and there's a strong support with uh, astronomical bodies. Uh, when all, uh, but the, the, it's completely laughed at in uh, the the professional scientific community uh, because what what we would if if you say that you uh, believe in a young Earth, then uh, if you go by the genealogies of Scripture, you would place the flood at about four thousand four hundred years ago, and you would place creation at about six thousand years ago, but. They're willing to say that anywhere from ten to twenty thousand years is considered young Earth, you know, not compared to others. That, but that is just absolutely ridiculed by anyone 
uh, who would believe anything. So, uh, but I, I think it's very important to, uh, to take this literal understanding of, uh, of Scripture. And uh, I hope we can uh, address uh, some of the questions that you might have about that. What are some of the problems with millions of years? What's the problem with evolution? What's the problem with believing in uh, that God worked through evolution? There are uh, just some dangers to this that I wanted to, to stress real quick. These are all heavily based on what Marx and Nietzsche and Hitler, they justified this for, for war even, that, uh, that these, um, the, the master race, that they're especially saying that uh, if Adam and Eve were uh, individuals that were called out of uh, a pre-Adam group of human-like people, uh, then, you know, what's to say that there's not some other uh, race that needs to rise up as a um, natural selection? Natural selection needs to take its course. You know, we're, we're the strongest, and so we need to uh, take care of all the weak ones so that we can have a, a, a better race raise up. And uh, yeah, I think it, it, it really hurts us. Um, and that, that's, that's one of the, the uh, more serious dangers. Um, so what does science say about creation? We know a lot because it's what we're taught. Uh, we know that science is stuff that can be, uh, it's a, a very vague definition, is uh, studying uh, things, you know, experimenting on stuff that is reproducible and uh, that, that can be, um, ex- uh, you get the same results over and over again and, you know, your peers can uh, test something and, and get the same things. Um, some of the most important scientists in history uh, were fine with the, uh, having this idea of a creator. Isaac Newton is perhaps one of the most uh, brilliant people in all of history. He doesn't even seem like a normal human most of the time if you study the stuff that he came up with. Uh, one, one guy came to him, one of his friends said, uh, you know, Ike, I, I need you to explain something to me. We, we've just, we've found out, you know, so-and-so has found out that planets don't have perfectly circular orbits. They're elliptical. And he said, Ike, why, why is that? You know, why, Isaac, why, why are these uh, elliptical orbits even here? And Isaac Newton said, let me get back to you. So two weeks later, he comes back to the guy, and he's like, here, here's your answer. How did you come up with this? He's like, oh, I had to come up with my own formulation. And so he invented calculus. And this is what we study for, you know, it takes us, it took me two years to get through all the calculus that I needed. And he comes up with this, invents this in a couple of weeks. So uh, some people argue on whether it was him or another guy. There's two camps on who actually invented calculus. But I'm with Isaac Newton on that. Um, and then, not only this, he discovered the presence of visible light. You've seen the uh, things with the prism. You know, he was the first one to say, you know, what is he took a, a, a prism and saw that it broke into a rainbow and tried to why is that? And then he figured out that, you know, okay, if you put it this way, it would just go back to a normal train of light. He's like, there's a lot more going on to light than we know. Uh, he came up with the laws of gravity and mass, momentum, pretty much everything that someone studies in their first year of calculus and physics. And then he turned 26. So, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, like, what, this guy. And then Galileo, we know Galileo. He was the guy that was looking at the ships with his telescope. And then all of a sudden, he's, oh, wait, what's that up there? You know, and started looking at the moon and the planets and um, started to really uh, form some of the, the key things that we came to understand about uh, our outer planets, Jupiter and its moons. And he was punished by the Catholic Church for claiming that the Earth was not the center of the universe. I hope that this is an example for us, and this is something that I want you to take away from tonight, that 
we do not be, need to be the ones that are, cast judgment on uh, someone who comes up with a, a crazy idea. I'm not saying that we accept everything as truth, but I'm saying who are we to say that it's not? You know, we're still uh, humans and we're working with uh, human tools and we're very fallible in, in everything that we do. But I think about just the, how atrocious it was what the church did to Galileo just because, you know, he, he looked up into the sky and he said, you know, there's other things going around the sun, and we're going around the sun. And the Catholic Church was like, no, you're wrong. And then they whipped him and excommunicated him. And Terrible thing. Uh, here's some other names you'll know. Um, Johannes Kepler, Blaise Pascal, Robert Boyle, Michael Faraday, James Clerk Maxwell. All very influential science scientists for all sorts of fields. Um, and even though science would be considered young and the enlightenment, enlightenment was young, they were still firm believers in a creator, and they had no problem with the things that they were discovering in science being uh, justified uh, by a creator. But what we know about uh, modern science is that it's a naturalistic point of view, saying that everything has happened through natural circumstances, and this is all just um, something that's, that's come about. You know, it would have happened this way, uh, or it, happens lots of ways, and there's different types of uh, evolution that are a part of naturalism. We have cosmic evolution, the origin of time, space, and matter. Chemical evolution, which is the origin of all the elements. Stellar evolution, organic evolution, uh, which is the origin of life from non-life. That's a big one. Macroevolution, the origin of major kinds of plants and animals. And then microevolution, simple variations within kinds. That last one, microevolution, is the only one that is being is able to be measured and reproduced. And uh, uh, no matter when you get down to the brass tacks of it, uh, the other ones they still are are not um, uh, definitive. We see that there's an element of faith in all of these. That it's a worldview and a belief system. This is a quote. From uh, scientific, this is a Scientific American. This is a big journal. You know, they are, you know, the, the people who are writing for there are always uh, very influential in their field at the time. And uh, this really summarizes um, how uh, modern science, at the its very foundation, is still a worldview and a belief system, just like Christianity. Big Bang cosmology is probably as widely believed as has been any theory of the universe in the history of Western civilization. It rests, however, on many untested, and in some cases, untestable assumptions. Indeed, Big Bang cosmology has become a bandwagon of thought that reflects faith as much as objective truth. That's Gary Burbage. Um, reflects faith, you know, you don't see faith in science, but uh, there's, uh, do we have the video? Okay. This is one of my favorite scientists right now. This is Neil deGrasse Tyson. He'll be talking, you'll hear his voice. Um, and he is just amazing to listen to. He's, uh, 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 he's uh, in charge of the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. Uh, he's just a brilliant astrophysicist, and he just has a way with words that most scientists don't. And uh, so, but the way he talks about um, what we're doing here, and what, uh, this was uh, his answer to what's the most amazing thing that you know or have realized. And uh, this was his answer. If we
bigger. Sorry. When I look up at the night sky, and I know that, yes, we are yes. part of this universe, we are in this universe, but perhaps more important than both of those facts is that the universe is in us, because my atoms came from those stars, came from those stars. not the same video that I had. He was saying the same things, uh, but what he, he talks about is just how he finds it so amazing that not only is uh, all the same things that make up the stars and all the amazing things that we see out in space are the same things that make up our chemical composition in us, and he's, he's known for saying that uh, uh, he, he finds it not so much amazing that um, you know the things that are in us are in the universe, but that the universe is within us, and stuff and you hear uh, lots of uh, scientists talking this way on matters of it's you just it's it's faith and I don't know if you've seen the movie Expelled with Ben Stein uh, it's a documentary that he did and he he's studying uh, why intelligent design is dismissed in scientific circles and uh, and that's a uh, it's and he's on there with Richard Dawkins one of the biggest atheists in the world like he's just so proud of being an atheist and there it fights for there to be no God and he can't even justify why we're here. Uh, ben Stein keeps pressuring him, pressuring him, like, well, where did we come from? And, he's, and uh, Dawkins gets to the point where he says that, well, it's possible that maybe an evolved race seeded the earth. And I'm like, well, that, and then Ben Stein's like, you're just saying that there's design, you know, there's a signature in, in, in all of us and everything. Um, so we're going to jump to some, some questions um, real wow. quick, and we're going to fly through stuff. Check. All right. Good start. <laughs> what? I mean, um, and by the way, you couldn't tell, but I was doing a perfect job following you on every scripture. I'm proud of you. It was So, um, no, I wasn't because oh. I was trying to make this video work, and evidently, that's not you even didn't. the video that we were supposed to be. So here's Mine what I wanted to say is that, that follow-up to everything he's gone over, um, if you want the, li- the, the compiled list, there's even more scripture. Um, we're gonna, we can communicate this to you through email. Mm-hmm. You can just email me and I've got all of his notes. I'll just forward it right to you. So now we want to move to Q&A because I've got some questions, yep. but um, I know that there's probably questions now swarming around in the room, different, different things. And so um, this is hopefully going to be a fun, fun time of just asking some things. So um, do you want me to start the question? You want just, is anybody ready to go? You got a question you want to ask about? Um, I don't even know if this is one of the ones you asked me to ask, yeah, but we've um, got some cute. So, are, so are you a young Earth guy or old Earth guy? I'm a young Earth guy. Young Earth guy. I'm, I'm going with the Bible. Okay, so you put it at six thousand, eight thousand. I'm going with the Bible. I'm. I that wasn't hate, jabbed at me because I didn't even say what I am. But look, I, just, I, I hate putting a number on it. 
Uh, but at the very least, I'm going to go with the genealogy. There are problems with the genealogies in the Bible. We have some parallel genealogies that we can compare within the Bible, letting Bible, the Bible interpret the Bible. And there's some gaps in, in what they're giving us. So we can't say that this is an uh, a- accurate comparison uh, uh, per se. But um, I have nothing else to go by. And so I'm going to say that the, the earth is about 6,000 years old. Six to 10,000 years old is what I'm comfortable with. Either way, people are going to call me a young earth. Um, young earth I, don't, I don't believe okay. in the day age. I believe Cam's God an old created. earth guy? Or you that, that's that what I'm saying. So I don't, You're an I don't old earth guy? Cam is. No, oh, okay. You're a young earth guy? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Tonight you are. Okay. So, um, so here's what I'm asking then just to get us started. So then we look up at these stars that are millions of light years away. Yeah. Right? It takes light that long to travel here. So how can you as a young earth guy explain light traveling, say a star that's uh, a million light years away? Yep. Uh, how can you explain that or rectify that if, mm-hmm. if the earth was only created 8,000 8, years ago? This is one of the big questions that put, gets put to old earth people. There, I'll get you started. There's a uh, question. Yeah. Um, and then uh, people would say uh, that, well, God, and this is an, an idea, that God created with the appearance of age, you know, or he uh, put things, but... Uh, the, the easiest way to think about it is God created everything in completeness, in fullness. You know, he didn't make Adam as a baby. He didn't make animals as infants. You know, there wasn't, the chickens weren't made as eggs. He c- created everything in, in completeness. Uh, and then as, as far as stars go, I mean, I read in Genesis 1, when he creates the stars on day 4. Oh, uh, when he creates the stars on day 4. He says, let the lights in the expanse of heaven separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. So when God created them, they were created with the purpose to give light upon the earth. Why is he going to create them if he's going to let their, the light you know, take all that time? To so get at that here? moment in time, you're saying the light from that star was already on the earth. It was already shining on the I'm earth. I'm saying he completed it. Far away as it was. It in its fullness, in okay. its completeness, in its most perfect form. Another example that I like is that Jesus, Jesus in the New Testament, uh, he, his first miracle, what was his first miracle? Turning water to wine. All right. He turned water into wine. And when uh, the, the person at the wedding drank the wine, uh, what did he say about the wine? He said, this stuff's good. He said it was the best wine. Now, wine, is, is, is wine the best when it's new? Or when it's aged. Well, it depends on who you are, but I would so go with Jesus, aged. So Jesus created wine. I'm an old wine, wine guy, but not a old Jesus guy. created wine with age um, for the sake. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. What do you think about that? All right, well, let's roll into some questions. Who's got a question for Daniel? Somebody uh, asked the dinosaur question. Come on. I've got my notes lined up for dinosaur. Somebody, let's ask a question. Okay, right back here in the back. I'm going to try to uh, not get anybody confused. How to bring light, a better perspective, when we talk about time, God is perfection, God creates, God doesn't, uh, it doesn't say that it was a second, or, you know, he spoke, he breathed, he, you know, he does it, and it's done. Uh, How do you bring time, um, the relativity of time, according to what it means to God and what it is for us? Because this is a totally different thing. I am not God. To me, time could be, you know, like these weeks. I go, okay, it's church. I go to work. I do this. I do that. And then, but it's, it feels like it's nothing now. Yeah. But 
I, I agree completely that God is, is completely separate. Um, okay. So, yeah, give us some perspective. Time. Uh, it, this is one of the things that I, I go to Genesis 1, and I say that Genesis 1, some people say, is poetic. Uh, and But I'm going to say that it's narrative. The most literal translation of this narrative. The rest of Genesis is narrative. And so why would the first part not be? It has the same sequence as narrative does all throughout Hebrew Old Testament with the lots of ands, you know, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Um, and so I'm going to say it's narrative, and I'm just going to say that then it's, it's not poetic, it's not imagery. So we can look at it and really dive into the words about what it says. And so thankfully, it's so clear in, in the words that it uses when he says that it was, you know, there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so I, there was no, God has no need for, you know, keeping a calendar or keeping, you know, he doesn't need a watch. So this was given for our benefit to, to say that, okay, when did this happen? And, and this is, uh, this is accepted as my, my opinion that, you know, the, the words that we have in Genesis 1 are meant to answer our questions about creation. And when it says it was evening, it was morning the first day, it was evening, it was morning the second day then uh, it's, it's really hard to, to, to argue that these are not literal 24-hour days that he's using. And there's no reason that he can't do it in 24 hours. Um, there's really would, you, no uh, would you say time didn't exist before it was measurable? No, there was no time, no space. Physics will tell you that. Physics matches up perfectly with what the Bible says about that. That before there was something, when there was just, when God was in, in just his eternal glory, then he had no need for time. He has, uh, time, oh, this is, this is great. Okay, linear time, the way we think it. Okay, maybe this was, this was the beginning of time into this marker. You know, we think in a timeline. So this is time, and then maybe Jesus was born right here, and then now we're over here. But maybe God says time, you know, yep, like, <laughs> he, he, he has, he's not within time the same way we are. You know, he's completely outside of it. And so he, he sees the big picture. You talked about that the, the, this morning, that it's, it's completely separate from what we need. You see that? Yeah. Like that's kind of the way I view it. I don't know how accurate this is, but that this is the timeline that's measurable time in all creation from beginning to the end when we step back into eternity. Then the air of this room <laughs> is God existing all around this thing. And yeah. then if you could just continue. But with, we're stuck in that. We're stuck in this right now, but God is all around it this way and this way and he's eternally existing encompassing all that is measurable in time uh so that's the way i look at it i don't know how accurate that is uh next question right back here to the back okay you've got a question here okay i'm coming to you next so once oh, no. this question's asked i'm going to walk over here and get ready <laughs> okay this is a dinosaur question all right they want to know you know you talk about the meteorites meteor showers okay came and destroyed and you know then you had the ice age and all this other stuff how does that I mean, play. I mean, we. I. Know, I believe that they, everything was killed during the flood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then. Right there with you. <laughs> but, but you know, you you have this little thing in the back of your head saying, okay, now what about the ice age and you know, okay. and, and the media, you know, because I visited the, the Barrington Crater in Arizona and it yeah. kind of makes you wonder, you know, okay. Yeah. Was that um, crater there before the flood, or was that part of the flood? The mountains caving in, or. <laughs> All right. So here it is. Here's dinosaurs. Um, That's good. I'm. There's so many things to, to process, try to explain this. So I, I hope I can cover this in an order that is, is understandable. Okay, so 
we're, we're saying that God created everything. I'm saying dinosaurs created on day six. All the land animals, everything. It says fish and birds. Those are clear words in Hebrew. We know what fish and birds, you know, fish, they breathe air through gills. Birds, they fly up in the air. Land animals, every beast that walks on the, the land. That's where dinosaurs are. And some people try to, uh, I believe the, the fossil evidence that we have is the result of uh, ca- catastrophe, is, is what it says. And in, in I would say that that's the flood. So we have dinosaurs existing with man before the flood. And here's another thing. Here's another question I wanted to be asked. Okay, are conditions on earth right now the same as they were at creation? Because what we know is that at... Uh, a long, long ago, these are the things that, that we know from science. Okay, there was a lot more land. There was a lot more vegetation. The animals were huge. And how do we justify that? Uh, also, there's uh, lar- more air pressure, and there was 50% more oxygen. So h- how do we explain this? I mean, this, these are measurable things. I mean, I can look at the bones in the ground and say, my goodness, it's a T-Rex. It is huge. And then you, we have, um, uh, the, the best example is a plesiosaurus. Has the nostrils are the same size as a horse's. If it, and this is, you know, huge. Take up this whole inside of this room. There's no way that an animal that big could get the oxygen that it needs through its small-sized nostrils unless the, the atmosphere was different. There was um, richer oxygen, and there was more air pressure to, to press all the, the oxygen in there, Okay. All right, we're getting there. Some more evidence real quick. Amber. We know amber. Uh, Jurassic Park, you know, we drill into the mosquitoes. Okay, well, they've drilled into amber air bubbles, measured the concentration of oxygen within amber air bubbles, 50% more oxygen than what we have here currently. Okay, another important part for understanding what was the original thing. You know, we talked about the waters separating the waters. Okay, so we have uh, on day two, the... The waters here that were uh, separated by the firmament, fir- firmament, there we go, um, this is an idea called canopy theory. We can't prove this, uh, but it fits everything that we need. And I got, it was two days ago, brand new article that just came out, says, oh, I got to pull this up real quick. It's so worth it, guys. Just to read the title and everything. Oh, here's my saved all right, early earth should have been a snowball, but wasn't. I'm like, okay, a new theory suggests that unusual greenhouse gases might have kept the planet warm back before the sun was bright enough to do the job. Because here's a problem they have with their timeline, that the earth hasn't developed enough. The sun, sun wasn't. Yeah, the, the sun's not good enough to support life, but they've already, with their timeline, with the evolution animals oh. and everything, they have to really be going already, but it's not even warm enough. The sun's so, not that old. <laughs> Exactly, and, and so they're saying, wait, there had to have been a canopy, and, you know, us looking at the Bible, we're saying, yep, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what my Bible says. There was a canopy that helped uh, trap in all this air, moisture, greenhouse. It also, if it was uh, Josephus, Jose- who's Josephus? He was a oh, church, church historian, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, church a, historian, Jewish guy. First century. First century. In uh, his first couple of chapters, he, he gives commentary to the Bible and what he says on this day, he calls it a crystalline firmament. So what we're thinking of here is separating the waters from the waters out in space. It's ice. There's this layer of ice forming a a canopy. would have been very small. Shuttle launches, when they go up, they have this long trail of, uh, you know, moisture and stuff that they leave with their plume going up. 
Well, that forms clouds way up in the atmosphere, and they drift towards the North Pole and form this thin layer of ice that is, is you know, this is, this, they've measured it, they've looked at it and everything. So why, why could this not be something that existed? That's how we have huge animals. It's possible, that it's probable that Adam and Eve and the humans so as just well. So stop, just real quick. So I'm you're sorry, saying I'm trying to fly through When this. God separated the water on earth from the water in the sky, yes, that weird atmosphere. description, he's pulling water up into the atmosphere and creating a water yes. canopy, an H2O canopy around. This is just a theory. But then uh, it's uh, Psalms, ooh, we read it, um, Psalms 148. Sounds really weird at first. So if that were true, anyway, the earth ahead. would literally be a greenhouse. Greenhouse. And the thing about an ice, a canopy like this, it protects you from UV rays, X-rays, all kinds of things that are harmful uh, to you and you know, breaks down our body and breaks down uh, things here on, on, on earth. So what you have is life uh, preserved and able to people to maybe live people would longer. People longer? Oh, okay. You know, um, things like that. Animals live longer. Uh, and then you have the flood. Okay, and God says, take two of every kind, not of every animal. He says every kind, so we're talking about major kinds. The big, the biggest example is always for dogs, right? There, you know, how many different kinds of dogs are there? But how many dogs do you need to make all these different dogs? You know, um, and uh, so it's it's very possible the dinosaurs were on there. People say, wait, 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 wait. I know as big as the ark could have been, you couldn't have fit these huge animals on there. Well, I like to say that well, the big ones were big but the little ones were little. So <laughs> why, why wouldn't God have you take small animals on there? Like the baby animals is what I'm saying. Like a baby T-Rex. Yeah, like, I mean, even elephant, you know, yeah. baby elephant's still only this big. It seems, I mean, when we think about We this, don't like, have room for weird. the 200-ton T-Rex. Bring the baby, or bring the egg, or bring the baby. Some one. people are okay with just killing the dinosaurs off completely at the flood. I'm not okay with that. Because we continually have uh, this uh, reoccurring theme of dragons that comes up not only in mythology, but also in the Bible. Why in Revelations is uh, Satan called a great dragon? If there's no such thing as a dragon, if this is a mythological uh, picture, I just, it, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Uh, there's an 18th century dictionary. The definition for dragon in it is now rare. And then it goes on to explain about a dragon. You know, okay, why, why would we uh, have all these definitive things? Man, there's just, there's so much. And the resources that I can point you to. So what would you say happened to dinosaurs? dinosaurs? I would say there were dinosaurs on the flood, uh, on the ark during the flood. The earth was completely, earth was completely changed uh, with the flood. Uh, we read that the fountains of the deep burst forth and the, the um, windows of heaven were opened. Now, is that just poetic imagery, or is there something really real going on there? And that's when we read in Psalms 148. This is one I was wanting to, to put, uh, or in Psalms uh, uh, 124. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Uh, there's uh, several more that talk about him. You know, We saw that he formed the dry land out of, out of the water, on the water. Um, and what young earth people would say is that the fountains of the deep bursting forth is what gives us our tectonic plates that we have now. And the huge upheaval of all these mountains, we know that you know, 
you know, incredible things had to happen to shove up, you know, Mount Everest, you know, 28,000 feet and all kinds of the stuff that we see, you know, the volcanoes going off, you know, that's all uh, uh, fits in perfectly with what we have with the flood, that, that God calls something seriously major to happen. Because it, it only rained for 40 days, right? That's not going to cause a global flood. There had to be an excess what of water. What about that canopy of water? And that's when you have the canopy coming down. I mean, if, if you think about it, windows of heaven, you know, if, if this is a crystalline uh, glass, I mean, not glass, but ice I, I, idea, you know, that's that looks like a window to me. You know, it sounds like that. It just... It, it, it fits for me just fine, and when, when I, um, the, the, the more I see, the more it, it, it helps uh, me fit things together with what I read in Scripture as well. So canopy coming down, fountains of the deep bursting forth, that's how the entire world was flooded. Not a local flood that many of these creation counts would hold to. They'd hold to a, a local flood, a regional flood that, that uh, Noah was able to avoid. Why he had to build that big old boat to avoid a local flood, I don't know. Um, Made for a anyway. cool cruise ship. Yes. Okay. Afterwards. Um, that that's. I just threw a bunch out there. Can we? Can we? Any clarifying questions we want to ask about these huge ideas that flood, I flood dinosaurs on? global. Okay. In just a minute, I want you to explain to me the uh, Grand Canyon. If you're a okay. young Earth guy. So. One of the things that I'm gathering, you're talking about the opening of, you know, you're, it, it opened up. Mm. And if it was a seal, and you're talking about the changes in at the atmosphere mm. and the environment that brought all these uh, destruction or changes in the animals and all that, would that be the possibility? Yes, that's, that's part of it. Um, but the oxygen levels, the barometric yes, pressures, it, change, it changes everything when there's no canopy. I mean, and this is something that scientists are trying, that, that they say, you know, for all these dinosaurs to live, the world was very different then. You know, it was a lot warmer and there was a thicker atmosphere, richer oxygen. Um, and that's the only way that animals this large could have survived. I mean, we have 12 foot tall bears and woolly mammoths. And uh, they also say that the, because of the change in the atmosphere, uh, caused by the flood, the ice age is actually post-flood, uh, which makes um, uh, a, a lot of sense as well. Meteorologically, I can't explain the whole thing, but uh, they, they put that together with the, that huge shift that happens. Uh, that's when we have the um, just things, just the, the flood was just the ultimate shakeup, um, and it change things and the even but that's the language of scripture this was global this was huge it killed everyone and everything except the people and the animals on this boat so there were things vastly different when they stepped off the boat but thankfully god has given the animals he's given us the ability to adapt and uh physiologically we can change slowly to to different conditions uh now that doesn't mean that uh everyone made it through to the end because we know that animals and others have still died off uh, throughout the years. I mean, extinctions are Oxygen something that Oxygen levels change, plants, vegetation. Yeah, you're not going to be able to grow. As Dinosaurs. You're not going to be as big and strong and eventually live as long. I mean, that's when things had to change seriously because God uh, said that the, the years of man's life were going to change. You know, he'd been living these long years. And, now and it he's happened over a period of time, too. <clears throat> Yeah, you see it uh, after the flood, it, it starts to stagger down and then it settles into a, a cadence. Of so how does the, has anybody been to the Grand Canyon? OK, 
Okay. I've been. Okay. So how does that happen in uh, a young earth? Yeah. Grand Canyon and uh, others say that's, that's easy. There's lots of, there's lots of problems with a gradual um, progression, especially for the Grand Canyon uh, in particular. Uh, if you, we know what, you know, this, this is uh, Western U.S. over here and Grand Canyon's right here, right? Well, uh, even ge secular geologists will tell you there's a huge inland sea. Has anybody been to the Badlands in, in um, South Dakota? You know, it looks like the bottom of an ocean. That's because it, it was. It was the seabed uh, that was established. There's a huge inland sea. And so young earth people say that the Grand Canyon and uh, other things uh, like this are the, would be the result of, uh, and this is also what secular scientists say. They don't. They still give, um, you know, still thousands and millions of years to, for the Grand Canyon. But there was a huge inland sea, and a natural dam had to burst for it to get rid of all that water. And I'm saying that the Grand Canyon was formed in a matter of days, weeks, not millions of years, as a result of something, this huge body of water getting funneled out into um, uh, not necessarily the Gulf of Mexico, like the Baja uh, Gulf and Siberia. Over there. And the simple explanation, like... Just going with what you're saying, water travels downhill. Yes. Right. And, and so <laughs> if you follow the trek of the Grand Canyon, for that to have happened over millions of years, you're looking at erosion that just slightly took off yeah, a layer and by layer. We, and, of course, we see huge bends in the, the uh, Colorado River, but that's at the lower point. If you look at the upper point where they say that the, the track started, it's, it's not nearly as curvy and bendy and had to follow a much more direct route, which goes up over multiple elevation changes. So the river wasn't running uphill over So the over river had to go uphill and then downhill and then back uphill about three or four times, I think, before it. And that's what rivers do, you know, they flow uphill. <laughs> <coughs> that's pretty intriguing to me. Like, for the layer by layer, it would have had, water would have had to go uphill several times to get it to, but the idea and, that there was a massive and, and water. And let me go ahead and say this. Geologic columns, you know, this is what we uh, as a justification for millions of years. Like, okay, these are the layers of the earth, ages of the earth, and these animals lived here, and these animals lived here. Um, there's just, that is one of the, the strongest evidence that, that I see that's measurable and attainable is the fossil record. And, um, oh, and this is called the fossil record. This is um, by John D. Morris. Uh, John D. Morris is the founder of the Institute for Creation Research. And that is one of the biggest proponents for a young earth. Um, lots of, it's where lots of, you know, scientists can come together, band together for support as they have to meet their peers. Uh, and, but the, also they do all kinds of research um, through, um, th they're a nonprofit. You can give money to them and they do this wonderful research. But there are some amazing, amazing things that challenge um, what we feel is the fossil record. And, uh, different uh, chain I'm trying to show you uh, my picture of so you know you say that it's millions of you here's a picture of uh, the huge inland sea with trust me it Canyon. looks cool it's awesome um, I'm trying to find the picture of we say that the geologic column is millions of years but there are many many places that they find a petrified tree standing up through millions of years you know the, this was this age and this was this age and this but there's a tree right here that's growing through all of them you know how do you justify not only that but some layer like this layer is coal and this layer is coal um th those are big problems 
in, in my opinion, for, for evolution and millions and millions of years. Uh, not only that, but just uh, the, the way that, what I would say is that geologic column is sediment because of, of this global flood that we have, this catastrophic event, catastrophic event that happened, um, lots with uh, tectonic plates being activated, you've got volcanoes going off, and uh, just huge amounts of uh, mud and sediment, you know, flowing. And these are, these are patterns, and this is stuff that geologists can look at and say, you know, this is how sediment would form. And there's other wonderful pictures of... Uh, uh, can, we, can we make this available for people to come look at? Definitely. Okay. It's going to be up here. There's the trees growing through there. Oh, that's so cool. Well, yeah. um, what I, I'm going to just give you one more chance for just a question, and then I'm going to ask Daniel to hang around, too, for some less formal Q&A. Um, so did I see another hand? You, you got another question here? Okay. Uh, Cavemen. What happened to the cavemen? cavemen? I have a whole, I have a wonderful article you can read here. <laughs> I have that. Um, the thing about the cavemen that we have, origin of humans, that's what we want. Um, I have a list of each of the different cases, people that you might, you know, well, the supposed, you know, uh, you know, species that you, like Java man, Piltdown man. Most of these, they're still held for historic reasons in the textbooks, but they were disproven within several years of them even coming out as evidence. Um, and so there, there's huge problems. Um, I wish, okay, so this is Java man. This is one that we say was a precursor for who we are now, homo, homo sapiens. Um, and in 1891, an ape-like skull cap was found. In 1892, a human-like thigh bone was found 40 feet away. So a year later and 40 feet away, they find uh, the, the femur. Yeah. And then they say, oh, these are the same one. They put them together. They say, Java man. Look, he's transitioning from. And this is the same thing that happens. Uh, Piltdown man. Uh, I think Piltdown man was a, like a pig tooth or something. And they made a whole person out of it. So, so like that whole, you know, you've seen the little thing, little man kind of growing into the, you know, the ape thing, growing into the man. We have complete skeletons of all those transitions, right? Oh, that's what no. you're saying. Uh, no, that's uh, the that that fossil evidence and uh, the you know links between changing in species. Yeah. That's not fossil evidence that you can look at that you, you can't find. People put stuff together, and it's this is where it gets deceptive because you know they'll <laughs> they they get this you know they find a couple pieces of a skeleton and they take it to a graphic artist or a design artist or something like that. And say, well, make me a 3D rendering of what this person looked like. And they say, well, what do you want him to look like? <laughs> and then they make him look like whatever they want when, you know, there's, there's all kinds Cam of things. Cam did that with a moose in his office. Um, what do you want this moose to look like? It's an inflatable moose. Th those are more things that I can keep in my head, and so I have to hold yeah. on to yeah. different. Uh, but most all of those, they're, they're, either, they're either apes, monkeys, or they're human. It's, there's really no unless they put stuff together. Um, I want to ask a question. Okay. Uh, what's this God particle thing that I've been hearing about in the news? Or did you see the second Da Vinci Code? Remember? I don't know if you saw it. I, I didn't watch the first anyway, one. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, you're better for it. Um, in Switzerland, CERN, have you all heard about this? This huge particle collider that is uh, supposed to tell us more about uh, our, the subatomic particles. 
Because this is the amazing thing, Jason. Not only can we look at, you know, here am I, and I'm on earth, and I'm rotating around the sun, and the sun is in its own solar system that's flying through our galaxy, and I look outside of our galaxy, and there are other galaxies where these same amazing things are going on. Not only that, I can look inside my body and say there are organs working together in tandem in a way that is just completely on their own. Like, I'm not telling them to do what they're doing. And within that, there's individual cells that are uh, specifically designed for their purpose and all things they're doing. Within those cells, there's made up of proteins, which are made up of molecules, which are made up of atoms. And those atoms, we have electrons and neutrons and protons. And within those, they've been discovering more and more and more. And it's getting smaller, you know, leptons and gluons and quarks and everything. Sure. Um, and so they, and somebody keeps coming up with the theory, like, okay, I bet, uh, well, not, I mean, they're not guessing. It's all in calculation. We need to find this. This is the next one that we're going to find. And they find it. So the proposed Higgs boson is supposed to be the uh, smallest subatomic particle and it's what's supposed to give us mass, like what actually makes us interact with gravity and give us weight and things like that. Okay, we're getting where they anyway. They said they were gonna find it, and so they had to build this huge so particle. If we just quit eating that, we could lose <laughs> weight. The the huge uh, underground particle accelerator, people were saying it's gonna cause black holes and all kinds of stuff like that. Not not happening. So they're just smashing atoms into one another to see what happens when they break apart, if they can find evidence of these. Uh, smaller molecules. Well, it wasn't a, it was a huge news release, but like scientifically it wasn't a big deal because they were saying, I bet we're going to find a Higgs boson. And they're like, oh, we've probably found it. And so, you know, that's, it doesn't arise as a big thing. Here's the thing though. The Higgs boson is helping us understand matter, the things we can see and feel and touch. But that is 4% of the matter in the universe. Because they know about dark matter, dark energy. These are things in the universe that we can't see. We have no way to measure, but we know they're there. You know what? Uh, I told you that light reacts to gravity, right? Well, they have what's called a, a gravitational lensing. You can look at an, an, a picture that Hubble takes of these galaxies, and they're bent. They're curved around something. But there's nothing there. There's no other galaxies or anything to bend the light. And so they, they know this is what, you know, that dark matter, it's, it's there, but we have no way to look at it. We have no way to measure it. We have no way to define it. And I'm looking at Genesis the first day, and I'm seeing God separating the light, what we can see, what interacts with us, the electromagnetic spectrum, and what gives all of our subatomic particles their activities and their actions. He's separating that from the darkness, which is the absence of all that. And so I was saying, well, there's probably darkness that is actually something, you know, if, if you know, God being light and creating electromagnetic spectrum, there's probably something else. That darkness actually is, it's not just the absence of light. So this is the amazing thing that they're still working on. They, they, they feel like they're really getting to the core of it, so much so that somebody, I don't know who gave it the moniker of the God particle because it was going to define stuff, but this is still 4%, only 4%, 4% of what we can actually look at understand in the solar system and they still have no clue what dark matter dark energy is they know it's there and they know it's responsible for the rapid expansion of the universe and galaxies flying away from one another and all things it's 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 one of those amazing things that just keeps me you know curious looking you know watching the news every day for what's actually being uh discovered but i was hoping somebody would ask about some god particle but i was about to 
Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I know it's, it's something you, you stay awake at night Hicks about. But thanks for listening to me because my wife gets tired of listening. She doesn't get nearly <laughs> as excited about these things as I do. I used to live with three other engineers, and so we could talk about things like this. But yeah. Well, um, then I got married. Yeah. Uh, well, two things. Um, one, um, <clears throat> I wanted you to see that it's fun and it's okay to talk about theories. Um, but we need to do so understanding that there's a difference between a theory, a, an idea, a possibility, and what we would call um, absolute truth. And uh, if the empirical world, the data that we can collect is continually changing, um, but the truth of Scripture isn't, let's hang our hat on that and let that speak into these other conversations that we have. And that's why you can have evangelicals say, well, I'm an old earth, I'm a young earth. We can have those conversations without being at odds and have, still have some sort of unity of faith, even in the midst of these discussions. Uh, but we also, number two is this, um, we don't have to check our brains at the door when we come into our faith. You can have intelligent conversations about the world we live in, solar systems, all from, you know, from the mass universe all the way down to the smallest particles, and, and God is never in jeopardy. That's what I was trying to communicate this. The story is never in jeopardy. The identity of who God is is not in jeopardy in these conversations. We do, however, as confessional believing Christians, we, we want to be cautious that we're not, um, we're not just latching hold of ideas and theories and leaving behind clear communicated truth in this word of God that we hold fast to, this confession we hold to. So it's fun and it's even okay and can be helpful to have the intelligent conversations, you need to do so, but at the same time, um, we need to be cautious what we hang our hat on, that we understand that really, um, whatever the theory is, there's, there's a bridge of faith to make to it, whether you're looking at the little animals, you know, little monkeys growing into humans, and you're saying, oh, I believe that, but that's faith, that's what he's trying to explain. Those are big gaps of faith. There are other things that you may not be quite as big of a gap of faith, however, they're all, they're all little gaps of faith. And so we say then, at the, at we believe God's word to be true, absolutely true, um, the revelation of the all-existing eternal God, and, and that one doesn't budge. But all this stuff I hear that we're talking about, right, these are things that are evolving and changing, and our great-grandkids will go, remember when they used to say the God particle? And we've been through seven God particles since then. Yeah, I mean, what we want to say is that when Scripture is rightly understood, which we're not capable of completely understanding scripture 100%. When scripture is rightly understood and science is rightly understood, there will be no conflict is, is what we believe. And that's what we affirm. And not that we can, and we believe, you know, as in infallible humans, probably never going to get science exactly right because we came up with all the systems for exploring the universe anyway. And uh, same for scripture. It's given to us and it is effective and useful, but we still don't understand it completely either. But when those two are understood perfectly, then there will be no conflict. But I don't think that's something we're going to get to anytime soon. So there will still be conflict. Uh, the, the, our, your responsibility is to be humble uh, no matter what. Uh, we don't have it figured out. And uh, the secular world and others, they love to wag a finger at us and laugh at us and ridicule us because we have faith. They, they have a faith as well, um, but it's, it's, it's harder for our to, us to argue our point. You know, we should be ready to give an account of, we have to believe something. And that's, and that's my, my thing, you know, let's be grounded in something and let's, uh, let it, it needs to be factual 
but and we we just we can't comprehend uh, the amazing things that that people know and are and are learning so we always need to be humble in our conversations and when we interact with people uh about things like this but let's let's get excited about you know uh, new things big ideas because our god is big and he does big things i mean we the church like with galileo used to say the earth is the center of the universe everything revolves around us and if anybody says otherwise you know you're out and you know that's let, let that never be said of us you know we like I said you know be be open but try to be as discerning as possible and fact check like crazy you have the you have the internet at your disposal. There's no reason you should just hear what a talking head says on TV and just accept it as fact. You know, do so Bill Maher needs to be fact-checked? <laughs> okay. well, yeah. well, yeah, here's know, the thing, too. Small view of the universe is a small view of God and our ability mm-hmm. to see this amazing, possibly ever-expanding universe. It doesn't do anything but expand our understanding and our view of who God is. It leads to more glorification. So, yeah, don't, definitely don't, don't check your brain into a small idea. Um, I want to. I want us all. Hopefully, you'll have a chance to come by and thank Daniel. The great thing about this is he's a member here, and so he's going to be around at least for a little while. And so you can have these conversations every Sunday if you want to. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Let's go. To so lunch. yeah, lunch, email, like hospitality room. Um, speaking of things that are evolving, uh, Downton Abbey season three is about to start. So I know some of you are ready to go watch that. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this time formally. Um, and, uh, and, and dismiss, and he's going to be up here for a few more minutes having some things to look at. Um, but be sure you come by and thank him for his time. He had so much more to get into. He's done a lot of work to get ready to talk <laughs> about all this. And, uh, and so come by and thank him, and, and maybe if you have some more questions, come by and ask him. So okay. let's, uh, let's, let's, let's pray together, thank God, and uh, we'll be dismissed. God, thank you for, uh, if anything, God, we realize even now how much more smaller <laughs> we really are. God, these conversations cause us to see our smallness. And uh, our limitations in thinking, our limitations of seeing, our limitations of calculations. And so, God, these, these conversations glorify you. You are a magnificent um, God worthy to be worshipped and praised and adored and just stared at. And so, God, when we stare into the heavens, God, can we understand that we're looking through the stars to see you. And when we look at one another and we see the amazing human body, could we stare through that to see the creator who designed it? God, can we... Um, become people who, who love staring at you um, by, by looking, observing, and thinking about the world you created. God, lead us into um, lives that, um, that are honorable to you, that reflect who you are in, in our lives as a creator. And uh, God, lead us into conversations with people around us, not to show how smart we are, but to present our faith to the people around us that they might believe and come to know you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.